We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of Archaeo Animals, the podcast all about zoo archaeology. I'm Alex Fitzpatrick, and with me as always, Simona Falanga. And today we are talking about cryptozoology. We did do an episode on cryptozoology with the Fab Archaeological Fantasies podcast way back. I don't know. Feels like a decade now. Yeah, I think it's uh, episode five. So we're like nearly going on two years ago now. Yeah, so like a decade in today time. For all intents and purposes. It's like a century, basically. (laughs) Why not a millennia? Yeah, I mean, yeah. That episode is is archaeology in itself. (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. But yeah, so today, you know, it's going to be part refresher, part new look at cryptozoology via loads and loads of case studies. uh, And we are specifically going to look at three types of cryptids. Uh, So we'll be looking at unicorns. We'll be looking at big, big feet, big foot, foot. What's the plural of a big foot? Sasquatches. Yes. Large large humanoid cryptids. Yes. And uh, mermaids. So it should be good. I'm always down to talk about stuff that doesn't exist or maybe does exist. Who knows? No judgment. (laughs) All right. So uh, should we start, I guess, with unicorns then? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, one thing that'll be worth mentioning as well is that we've chosen sort of three cryptids that are fairly well known. But mm-hmm. please do flood our inbox with weird and wonderful cryptids because we don't want to stop making episodes like th- like this. So it doesn't have to be a one-parter or a two-parter. It can be a ten-parter. I mean, we could do a whole podcast about cryptids, and people have, let's be real. But it's just fun. It's just so much fun. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day because me and uh, my partner were watching videos of roadside attractions in uh, America because that's how I get my my fill of the country. I was just thinking about how, like, if I didn't have any integrity, which is, you know, it might happen soon, uh, I might just, like, give up and go and pretend to be, like, a cryptozoologist and, like, open up a little museum and, like, go full cryptozoologists seems like more fun at this point sure why not yeah we should make one here in the uk i'm, I'm sure there are i mean that might be 
It's not definitely not as much as in the States, which we will talk about because uh, I don't know. I, I guess it's part of that like Americana roadside oddities uh, culture. Yeah, because it is in a way because there's a lot more. Well, it's not that there are a lot more cryptids in North America, but there seems to be a lot more mythos that are quite recent. Well, sort of around here, we do have our cryptids, but they tend to mostly be sort of, you know, sort of legends from yesteryear. Yeah, that's true. Actually, wait, 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 wait. What about Nessie? Come on, Nessie is no, no, no. I want to break this up. No, the UK has literally some of the highest tier, highest tier cryptids all around. Like, uh, it, think about it, Nessie. Nessie, oh, uh, top of the list. That wasn't my point. Um, mostly saying that there are none that are sort of very recent in the way they've come about. Okay. Well, I mean, okay. What about the unicorn being the national animal of Scotland? That's pretty, it's pretty like close to now. It still is. still is the national animal of Scotland. Yeah, but in terms of like the origins of the unicorn as a cryptid, so they stretch back. Quite a bit further back, because like in the UK, maybe you have plenty of cryptids from the owl man and the uh, fairies, and I'll come back about that. But there's a fair amount, but not as many that have uh, come into being, so to speak. So relatively recently, I think the only one I can think of is the alien bit cats. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. No, I mean those are really those were really really popular in like the late nineties. I remember watching lots of TV shows with the uh, alien big cats kicking around. Although to be fair, you would, have, you would have genuinely had the odd ones. I was reading in the news only a couple of years ago that in the southwest of England, there was a clouded leopard on the loose. And it turned out it was somebody's. Like, oh, yeah, no, I've got two of those. No, that's mine. <laughs> oh, could you imagine, like, a Tiger King, but, like, in the south of England? Oh, no. <laughs> oh. Could you imagine, like, Joe Exotic, but, like, from the home counties, and, like, has, <laughs> it was so good. Oh, I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Snow Leopard King. Uh, I don't know, because I've not actually watched Tiger King, so... I've, Neither have I. <laughs> I've, 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 I've only, from the few sort of snippets of memes that I've seen on the internet, but other than that, it's all pretty obscure to me. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm seeing that I'm the only person who's seen it, but yeah, no, that sounds pretty cool. I I want the UK Tiger King or Leopard King to be made, but I think I think maybe maybe what you're you're right in saying that there's not many old uh, new cryptids in the UK is probably because of the age, the relative age of like the US, and I also think the distances involved. Like, I don't know. I just feel like um, North America is quite spread out, and so. I don't know. There's a lot of room to be by yourself, if that makes sense. Like, you know, the world makes weird noises, especially out in the forest late at night. It's just you. I mean, I think it's also the diversity of how many different, like, regional cultures uh, developed in the States uh, from, you know, as far as it being various uh, indigenous uh nations and then going on to it being colonized and stuff like that so you have so much to draw from to create these kind of cryptids and folklore and things like that and like you said like size as well i think has a lot to do for it there's so much space you can move between that you can you know oh this is where 
you know, Mothman lives or the Jersey devil or uh, a hometown uh, cryptid of mine, the Montauk monster. That's fun. Anyway, we were supposed to talk about unicorns now. <laughs> yes, look, just quickly, the one I was thinking of was the Piskies. Um, is another um, English cryptid, um, namely of um, Cornwall, mostly. Oh, okay. Unicorn. Anyway, yeah, unicorns. <laughs> what are unicorns? They're horses. They have a horn. Sometimes they're plain. Sometimes they're rainbow. Sometimes they're sparkly. Uh, sometimes they're... Very you... Sometimes they're very sparkly. The sparklier, the better. Yes. So, yeah, I think we cover unicorns now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> moving on <laughs> but like doing the research for this i was actually like genuinely surprised at how old unicorns are uh, and i'm sure you you want to get into this <laughs> of course i've got to you know talk about the roman bit of it because unsurprisingly to absolutely everyone there, <laughs> are, there is a mention of unicorns in pliny the elder's natural history Naturalis Historia. And uh, for those who are not familiar with Pliny the Elder, he was uh, um, this um, upstanding Roman citizen that enjoyed traveling places and moaning about it. And he put it all in a book because he, he catalogued everything. So, like, like, what are you doing here? Oh, no, I'm cataloging. I'm just cataloging this bit of grass and this flower and uh, manuscripts that can fit in a nutshell. That's a story for another day. Uh, you know, apparently there's a copy of the Iliad out there. It's written in parchment so small that it can fit inside a nutshell. That's a thing. Um, but yes, Pliny writes about the, the unicorn. Uh, he calls it the monoceros, uh, which he allegedly saw in one of his trips to India. Um, now, uh, in this description, you know, the unicorn looks quite a bit different from the way we picture it today. So it would have had a horse's body, elephant feet, a stag's head, and a boar's tail. All that, to top it all off, a single black three-foot horn emerging from the middle of its forehead. Now, if you ask me, you just described yourself a rhino or a rhino-looking animal. Yeah, either a rhino or like a real thick uh, unicorn boy. Yep. No, more likely a, a, a unicorn boy. Yep. Why not? Sure, yeah. Pliny. Yep. Yeah. Chunky, you know, chunky unicorn boy. Well, hashtag chunky unicorn boy. We love to see it. Uh, but yeah, so uh, what it sounds like is exactly uh, a rhinoceros. And it's possible that it originated from really early sightings of the Indian rhinoceros. Or maybe it was uh, some other kind of ungulate or an antelope with only one horn, you know. There's lots of different things it could be, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's um, it's really interesting that this is as early as it is, uh, because uh, personally, as someone uh, who isn't from uh, Britain, uh, I've always associated unicorns with the kind of medieval period because it's so uh, such a popular motif in that period, uh, specifically in like bestiaries and things like that uh so it's kind of wild to see that it's actually that old yeah like i said me coming from also not britain <laughs> i also <laughs> think it as mainly uh 
a wonderful medieval creature that lives in bestiaries of the time. And yet, no, uh, it's apparently even older. I mean, there's even, uh, depending on the translation that you have, it's uh, apparently it's even in uh, the Bible. So it's, yeah, it's a pretty old cryptid. And uh, one of the kind of things I wanted to mention when we're talking about unicorns is kind of the, you know, zoo archaeological equivalent. And as Simona said, Pliny probably saw a... Uh, you know, a rhinoceros, and that's what became the monoceros, monoceros. One horn. Yeah. Uh, But there actually is kind of something referred to as the extinct unicorn or the extinct Siberian unicorn, which is an extinct uh, megafauna that was originally assumed to be some kind of equine creature with a horn, basically a unicorn. Uh, It's called... Elasmotherium Sibiricum, I think. <laughs> Correct. <Yeah. laughs> that's what I, I, that's me trying to pronounce the scientific name. Uh, so it was found in 2016 in Kazakhstan, and a closer examination of it real, made uh, scientists realize that it's actually closer to a rhino or a woolly mammoth uh, than a horse, and it's actually kind of change our understanding of the megafauna's extinction it used to be believed that it went extinct uh 350,000 years ago but apparently it may not have only gone extinct 29,000 years ago which is a ginormous difference <laughs> do you feel like you're seeing that uh it's almost the trend lately that sort of we're realizing that some of the pleistocene megafauna went extinct much later than we thought we actually did yeah, I guess it is. I don't know. Like, I think we've talked about it on the show before, but um, it's that weird thing when you get deeper into the past that, like, you start sandwiching a lot of it of the time together. Uh, and I don't know if it's because it's just so much time to, like, conceive of that we kind of just have to be like, oh, this, this you know, 100,000 years is like one period. Uh or not. So it, it's hard to wrap my brain around it sometimes. Yeah, I guess it might be also a case that now we've got much more reliable ways of actually taste, test, taste. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, yes, the thing that you could uh, eat mammoth at one point, I think we talked about in an earlier episode. Yeah, we okay. have. <laughs> we have better ways of testing for the actual age of the remains. So, yeah, a lot of our uh, stuff is a bit more. Uh, precise uh but yeah no it's it, it is wild to kind of think of the fact that uh, if we include the uh Siberian unicorn <laughs> unicorns are actually thousands hundreds of thousands of years older than we have thought um so yeah no uh unicorns fun it's interesting what what did it um say so like because the remains were uncovered in 2016 yeah so the first theory was like straight to like an equine looking animal. I was wondering, did the article you consult say much about what was found? Was it just skeletal remains or partially mummified animals as you would get in permafrost? Uh, I can't remember actually. I mean, based on where it was found, it wouldn't surprise me if it was uh, bone and also some other kind of organic remains because I mean that's like the thing about that area of the world and the reason why we f- keep finding so much megafauna there that uh, ends up giving us all these like really robust uh, 
uh, data is because the permafrost, you know, really helps preserve a lot of the stuff that it's necessary for kind of some of those more precise uh, lab uh, analyses. Like here, where everything is so damp, no. that it just decays yep. into doom. Yeah, it's, you know, in Britain where I, I'll find two gorgeous, gorgeous mandibles of a dog and a cat. And yet it's still not good enough to get ancient DNA done so that I could figure out if it, they're actually domesticated. It's fine. I'm not mad about it. It's fine. Well, she's fine because in... Um... Well, say it doesn't apply to the entire country, of uh, course, but because you have vast areas of the country that predominantly have heavy clay soils, mm. they also tend to be quite acidic as well, which really doesn't help with um, well, fauna or, or human remains, just bone. It, it's not very helpful. Yeah, it makes me, I get so jealous whenever I like look at the stuff that gets pulled out of like places like uh, Siberia um, because they're, it's always so cool. I mean, like over the last maybe three years we've had um you know some of the earliest dog remains come from that region uh i think there was a horse kind of recently that was that basically had its uh hair a lot of its hair still there it's it, i remember that yeah it was a lion cub as well yeah i think so but it's just like so well preserved it makes me want to scream <laughs> because it's not fair Please don't scream now. I'm wearing headphones. Yeah, I won't. Um, but yeah, no, it's 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 absolutely wild how good uh, the permafrost is. And if only we had permafrost here. No, uh, I'm, I'm in two minds about that. <laughs> well, maybe we would actually have uh, our own unicorn here. Yeah, but, but then they'll mean me digging in permafrost. That is true. Yeah, it wouldn't be me. Uh, Lab archaeologist, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note, I shall I shall go think things over. <laughs> Take a break. All right, we'll be back. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com and use the code ANIMALS. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
And we are back with Archaeo Animals and we are talking cryptozoology again. Uh, and now we are going to kind of go from, you know, the European cryptids over to kind of more in North America uh, with Sasquatches. Yeah, I guess the, the Sasquatch. I don't know, because you hear, you hear, you know, about Sasquatches and... Uh... Bigfoot. I mean, it seems like the Sasquatch is a bit of a catch-all term for just giant hominids. And then, like- yeah, it is definitely. And there seems to be okay. So I actually didn't plan this at all, but uh, we watched a video of someone going to one of the uh, many Bigfoot museums in uh, the United States. Uh, last night and uh, the the museum that they went to has this really big map and uh, they have like pinpricks up uh, showing different like places around the country and then around the world where people have run into Sasquatches. So from my understanding of the accepted lore of for people who, uh, and there are people who uh, research and attempt to catch Sasquatches is like, yeah, that it's kind of just like the term that they use. Okay. So yeah, yeah, then a Bigfoot that is more sort of, North American specifically. Yeah. And then I guess you have similar sort of giant hominids that also the, there's law for in other parts of the world. So like the Yeti mm-hmm. is in a way similar to the Bigfoot. And I guess is the Yeti also a Sasquatch? I, I guess so. It, it seems to be uh, an originates from the Mete uh, folklore from pre-Buddhist uh, folklore in the himalayas um but yeah i I guess it is it's it's commonly referred to as a sasquatch as well i know that at the museum we were looking at last night um they include a bunch of stuff about the yeti uh i guess because 10 in in their eyes they're kind of most likely from the same species or name that species but from the same family at least okay so like all just different adaptations in different climates yeah, and there seems to be like different forms of Bigfoot throughout the United States as well. It's very complicated. You, I mean, there's a reason why there's people who like literally study this kind of stuff, uh, at least like, in the States. What well, I mean, be intrigued to know as well is the origins of the term Sasquatch, because Bigfoot is pretty self explanatory. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay because because it, it the because it's got a big tail. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, but I think the Bigfoot specifically then um, it originates almost from a a, a blending of uh, uh, different folklores across North America. So mm-hmm. you seem to have sort of in there, you have a combination of the wild man myth that tends to be sort of European or something that the European settlers have brought um, to America and then various other indigenous mythologies. To the wild man, like I wouldn't say it's necessarily a a European myth per se, because you do tend to find it all around the world. I mean, you have mentions of a sort of a wild man, even like in the Epic of Gilgamesh. Yeah. And then, of course, the, the wild man in uh, block in capitals, um, I guess that would be a specifically sort of European f- mythos. 
but then even within Europe, you have different types. Because within like uh, sort of within Europe itself, you get things that are similar to the um, the wild man. Because you have, uh, for instance, you get the Roman fawn or the satyr in Greece or the leshy in Slavic mythology, which I think we covered in the Witcher episode. <laughs> Um, in the video game episode, but yeah. In the video game episode, because, yeah, they adapted the Leshy into the Leshin. Um, yeah. But then, of course, this was um, probably sort of came into contact with some of the mythologies that already existed uh, before America was colonized. Uh, for instance, one that particularly came to mind when I was reading about Bigfoot uh, is um, a folklore figure that's uh, typical uh, of the Algonquian-speaking First Nations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a recurrent figure is the um, the Wendigo, which I'm not sure if you've heard about. I do. I, I do love the uh, the folklore around the Wendigo. Yeah, the it's Wendigo, really... just this, um, yeah, this malevolent supernatural entity that's basically just there to ruin your day. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, and the Wendigo can be humanoid in appearance, or, or can indeed like possess a human and turn him monstrous looking. Um, but I think one thing that particularly sort of um, in my mind brought it closer to Bigfoot is that you have in some other First Nation mythologies, uh, the Wendigo is seen as a sort of a large humanoid or like a giant man. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it's like kind of that, you know, uh, archetype, I guess, of the, the, the quote unquote wild man. And um, I think what's also really interesting about uh, the Sasquatch for Bigfoot is that I feel like it's one of the few cryptids that has a sort of, um, what's the word? like a more grounded kind of basis as such as people can say, like, I am an expert. I'm a scientist who studies these things because a lot of modern day cryptozoologists like to say, Oh, Bigfoot is the, you know, quote unquote missing link. Um, And they can like base it in the kind of like science we already have on, you know, early um, uh, ancestors of, uh, homo sapiens uh so it's like really it's really interesting to see it uh become this kind of like pseudoscience in a way that i think a lot of other cryptids don't necessarily like formalize into yeah i see it like i think if if bigfoot was a, a species uh, I, I probably wouldn't go as far as calling it the miss the missing link or more like a case of divergent evolution Mm-hmm. So that you have another species that sort of branched out and uh, could still be around doing things, uh, ruining people's days. Yeah, I the- mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, I feel, I feel like out of all the cryptids, uh, Bigfoot uh, is the one that you could be like, you know, and and again, this is why that you have so many Sasquatch museums. I mean, in the U.S. alone, there's at least four uh, uh, that can exist because you can technically have these things and you can point to them and say, oh, no, this is proof of Bigfoot. Um, Like, so the museum that we saw in this video last night uh, had obviously had caps of, you know, supposed Bigfoot uh, foot imprints. And there was even a a butt imprint, which was amazing. And I loved it. Um, 
but then you also have they'll, they'll have casts of you know different uh hominid species uh to put on display as well to be like well this is where it would be like part of uh this family and stuff like that so there's like a way you can kind of slip in actual science with the pseudoscience it's i just find it really interesting and again uh maybe if things don't work out uh with my career i'll just become a bigfoot expert why not (laughs) it's not i mean you know at least then i'm making up stuff and that's fun yeah, like we don't have to like waste any time referencing anything. No, I mean, and that's the weirdest thing. And that was the thing I actually didn't know because I knew I obviously knew that, and and I think you know as well that cryptozoologists exists, and there's loads of conferences that happen about cryptozoology uh, and stuff like that. I didn't realize the that there were people who were trained and were based in like physical anthropology who ended up becoming experts on Bigfoot. So like the one that I found that's probably most famous is uh, Grover Krantz, who uh, I think some people, at least in the States, may know him as the guy who donated his body and his dog's body to uh, the National Museum of Natural History uh, in Washington, D.C. So when you go there, there's a display where it's his skeleton and his dog's skeleton. Uh, It's actually kind of cute. But uh, apparently, yeah, he was a physical anthropologist who believed in the existence of Bigfoot. Okay. I mean, yeah, you know, again, it's that kind of weird, like, I get where that's coming from in some ways, but... Yeah, so he basically used testimonials and casts of footprints to kind of determine, oh, this is a creature that was descended from Gigantopithecus, which was an ancient ape originally from Asia. But very specific. Yeah, and then like that's the kind of thing where if, you know, I could see someone reading that, especially someone who's not necessarily based in the sciences, and they'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. But it's it's just really interesting to see someone from the kind of like hard sciences already who's like actually yeah these this probably exists but to be fair like um, cryptozoology like it is in a way like it's a very interesting discipline that you do have people that get properly uh trained in it and are quite prolific and like that doesn't normally um come with the assumption that they, these researchers believe in what they're researching but it, it is still like a very sort of interesting subject because it sort of it blends in together like sort of uh, biology and physical anthropology and mythology and folklore it's it's really interesting if anything just going through the thought the thought process or how these myths form yeah no definitely i mean that's the kind of that's the, the aspect of cryptozoology that i think we both really enjoy is kind of the thought process of you know it's almost it is almost like doing archaeology in a way in that you have this kind of like idea or like image that people like manifest of these creatures and then you kind of have to walk backwards and figure out you know where did they get this from how did these pieces come together to be to morph into like say the the kind of uh version of bigfoot that we all kind of think of when you say that to someone you know yeah, like I, I find it fascinating. Personally, it's a bit like what well, one that I guess we'll have to mention another time. But dragons. Yeah, I, I and that it's like something that 
exists in so many cultures and kind of, even though there's some varieties in the way that depicted, there's still like very commonalities. There's also something that sort of the base idea is the same worldwide, but then the way they're depicted, like in people's imaginary, of course, will have will depend a lot on the culture and other external factors. It's so interesting and cool. Um and yet then we have we have Bigfoot, which everyone just kind of assumes is a big hairy guy. That could be anyone. Yeah, but then there's so much it is such a so popular in in pop culture and there's been movies made about Bigfoot. There's Harry and the Hendersons. Oh, I've not heard of that. It was a okay, it was like a sitcom that was on TV in the States where it's about I've never actually watched it because it looks terrible uh apologies out there to all the harry and the henderson super fans who are listening to the podcast and are offended by that but um it's about a family that like takes in a bigfoot okay <laughs> whose name who they they name harry hence harry and the hendersons it's very i don't know u.s tv went through a phase didn't they between that and like alf and stuff Oh, I just found a, a, a 1987 <laughs> fantasy comedy film. Do, I will say, though, uh, anytime I think of Bigfoot, I immediately think of Harry from Harry Landerson. It's a very distinct look. Well, I guess he'll be a very sort of endearing Bigfoot, one you, you, you wouldn't mind inviting around for tea. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I find him endearing. I always found him kind of creepy, uh, but I didn't really grow up with that. Um, because yeah no um anyway so it, it won an oscar for best makeup it won an oscar i thought it was Apparently. a tv show is it a film oh my god there is, there is also there is a film a 1987 american <sighs> fantasy comedy film oh that's unfortunate <laughs> wow I mean, like Kudos to them because you know, back in 1987, you you had to all you had to do it all through makeup. There's no CGI thing to be making your life easier, but pricier. Yeah, I mean, it's like how they did the um, I forget the name of the film. I was going to say Zap Ruder film, but that's that's the film of uh, JFK being assassinated. Uh, there is that famous film of Bigfoot walking, though. You know what I mean? Have you seen that? I'm afraid not. It's a really grainy, like, home video that was used as, like, oh, it's proof that uh, Bigfoot exists for ages. Oh, wait, is that, is that 60s footage? Yeah, yeah. It's where he's, like, doing, like, it's a very distinct walk he does that, like, I think a lot of things parody. Yeah, no, I think uh, I know the one you mentioned. I've not seen the video in itself. I think... I was um, reading, sort of like a someone sort of trying to go through the video and the stills and trying to see how authentic it was. Yeah, there's this whole thing of like how it was because of like the way that the person who was pretending to be the Bigfoot was walking. There's a whole thing of people trying to reproduce that, like the gait of the walking and stuff. It's it's absolutely bonkers <laughs> the kind of stuff that ends up being researched uh, with. Inter with uh, Sasquatches in mind. And uh, I do want to point out too, um, even though we have these kind of like people from anthropology like Krantz who uh, 
have become or became Bigfoot experts, quote unquote. Uh, you have other anthropologists like David uh, Daigling who are uh, attempting to kind of disprove a lot of what they've done because as fun as it is to talk about cryptozoology, you know, it, it does add authenticity to pseudoscientific beliefs, which can end up becoming, you know, very harmful things. So uh, Daigling is a paleoanthropologist who um, basically looked at, oh, uh, I actually wrote down the name of the film, <laughs> the, the uh, Patterson film. That's the film that we were talking about. Uh, it, apparently he's uh, examined it and he's been like, uh, you know, it, the person's range of the size of the Bigfoot in that is it, within the variation of human size and that you could easily replicate that weird walk. So, you know, it's just, it's fake. But I think they've also someone's who like father was in that, like came out with stuff about it being fake. So whoops. <laughs> yeah. Although one thing worth reiterating, I guess that of course, cryptozoologists or people that research cryptids um will not necessarily believe yes in the stuff because i guess like not uh the, the there are some people that are actually producing some very interesting work on the subjects without um going out of their way to prove that they've seen bigfoot uh in in the toilet of a diner as we all you know his natural habitat of course <laughs> <laughs> So I think as we ruminate on that image, um, we'll take another. <laughs> <laughs> next time, next time you're in a diner and want to go to the toilet, be very afraid. <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest, if you're using a diner toilet at like on the roadside in the states, yeah, I would be afraid. I I've not had the pleasure, so <laughs> usually pretty gross. You would, you, you know, one day, Simona will make you experience the American, the Great American Road Trip. <laughs> And she'll still make it about Romans somehow. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, as we suss out the details of Simona's American road trip, we are going to take a break. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. We're back now with uh, not talking about Sasquatches anymore. Now we're talking about mermaids because, you know. Why not? Why not? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't like a mermaid? Who didn't want to be a mermaid? Although I guess this is... No, no. I mean, like, I was going to say, for me growing up uh, with pools, which I, I've come to learn is a, a rarity in Britain, um, I always pretended to be a mermaid when I would go swimming in the pool. 
No, I get that. Of course, having the sea in front of my house. Yeah, I was going to say, you have the sea. And then, uh, yeah. And and then just flat countryside. <laughs> yeah, mermaid's favorite habitats. The sea and the flat countryside. Not with that attitude. True. That is true. Uh, but yeah, so just a brief... I don't know who needs to know uh, exactly what a mermaid is, but it's basically uh, any variation of a humanoid creature that lives underwater. Uh, usually it's seen as a human top half and a fish bottom, although I'm sure that there are many different variations on that. Because yeah, interestingly, that wasn't always the case of how like mermaids were imagined yeah, you find mermaids sort of in the folklore from all over the world, really. But sort of in Western mythology, particularly, um, mermaids are sort of derived from the Greek sirens, which mm-hmm. were originally seen as half woman, half bird. Which then yeah, fish. Which is really weird, and also, uh, I mean, of course, I'm going to bring it to video games, but that also reminds me of the sirens in uh, Thingy, uh, which is very yeah, yeah, because those are uh, they are you know kind of what we see as mermaids in that they they are underwater, but they can fly up in the air, which is uh, terrifying the first time you play that game. Oh yeah, they're really difficult at first. But then it yeah. might have been a scion that had fallen in the water and couldn't really fly anymore. And it was like, well, if life gives you lemons, and then just, you know, um, speciation <laughs> just <laughs> grew like, uh, fish appendages. It's like heartbeats were hard enough, especially if I was just like riding Roach down, you know, Velen, and all of a sudden I've got these screeching little bird people flying at me and I have to pull out my crossbow and shoot them. But like, come on, I'm trying to sail a boat around Skellige and you have to interrupt me with these sirens. That's just because everything in Skellige wants to murder you. That is true. Uh, we do have an episode uh, for listeners. We do have an episode coming up that's going to be entirely on The Witcher now that I've finally finished the game. So uh, look out for that. Yeah, so now you know in advance, so you can skip it if you like. <laughs> well, yeah, because now at this point, I'm in, I, I've become incredibly invested in the lore. So I can talk. I can be as annoying as I was on the Star Wars episode. So D- DLCs and everything? Oh, yeah. I did Ooh. everything. I, I did every single side quest because I have this sickness where I need to do every side quest in a video game, even if I don't like the video game, although I did like The Witcher 3, uh, which is why I end up playing video games for like six months. All right. So long as that is not going to make you start holding spoons or trying to sell mirrors to people, then everything will be okay. Maybe. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so it seems to be uh, the Greek sirens uh, seem to be the origin for at least the Western conception of mermaids. Uh, There's also the belief that the mermaid myth probably began with really early sightings of manatees and dugongs, which, I mean, that's kind of just like the, um, like a consistent theme in cryptozoology is how all, a lot of these creatures are just kind of people seeing these creatures for the first time. I mean, the other thing I always think about when I think of cryptozoology is uh, the whole, like, people who came across elephant skulls for the first time thinking that there were the skulls of Cyclops. 
Yeah, but I think with with manatees, I mean, you must have been lost at sea for a very long time <laughs> to mistake a manatee for a woman. A real thick girl. But the, the, I mean, I've got a real manatee like body shape going on, so I can understand why someone would see a manatee and think that I was that it was me as a mermaid. I, I, I think your, your morphology may differ ever so slightly from that of a manatee. I don't mean to be pedantic. I'm a big round girl. <laughs> sure. That's, that's, it. that's the only way I describe manatees uh, professionally. I, I point at them and I go, big round girl. <laughs> um, also, I just want to point out, just to kind of break the, uh, the illusion here, folks, uh, when we record these episodes, we have uh, a bit of a, a, a chat running with our producer. And uh, Tristan has just written, uh, typed out hashtag manateam. So uh, if you want to uh, send angry emails to the Archaeology Podcast Network demanding that he be fired for these awful jokes, <laughs> I'm just saying, the people have to know. Tristan at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com if you want to send an angry email at him to uh, stop making these jokes. <laughs> he also doesn't get any emails, which isn't uh, surprising given his whole personality and all the other stuff. Anyway, mermaids. <laughs> yes. Um... I got my, my, my roasting out. <laughs> uh, but not, but not a, a proper roasting yet because you've not eaten. Oh, no. But yeah, uh, oh yeah, Kelpies. I haven't even thought about Kelpies in um, relation to mermaids. Somewhat similar, yeah? Yeah, I, I was just trying to look it up, but I keep getting pictures of a horse statue instead. Well, I mean, that's what a Kelpie is. It's like horse mermaid. Oh, and a dog breeder as well, apparently. Is it? Australian Kelpie. That's weird. It, it, it's also a dog. It's like a a, a a small to medium sized. <laughs> it, it's pretty cute, but yeah, it, it's it's also so it's a it's a malevolent spirit. It's a horse and also a dog. But yeah, no, I, 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 kelpies are like they're obviously not exactly like mermaids, but it is interesting to think of uh, that. There's just this uh, kind of persistent mythology of these half something half fish or at least water dwelling type of animal i mean there's the whole um i didn't write this down so this is off the top of my monogam uh the association of bulls and poseidon and the uh the sea as well in greek mythology yep just we love we love to see, we love to throw an animal in water and call it a day. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, if if you're not sure what you've just seen, um, think of the closest land mammal that it resembles and uh, go with that. Just the sea version. Yeah, are you a, a, a creative person trying to create new uh, creatures for your latest sci-fi or fantasy novel? Just take a, the nearest animal, chuck it into the sea, and there you go. Well, don't actually chuck an animal to the sea, because if they can't swim, they'll drown. Uh, no, I want to <laughs> see a great like sort of sci-fi thriller on a sea cucumber. I mean, like, 
what actually yeah the sea cucumbers were kind of integral to bioshock oh yeah they Um, were oh my gosh yeah yeah Uh, it's kind of a premise uh that kind of underpins a lot of things happening in like the world of bioshock so sea cucumbers actually have been done i've played all the games i've completely missed that they're like slugs that they use yeah, they're the ones uh, that basically like fart in their enemy's face as a defense mechanism. Yeah, but like in Bioshock, that's what they use to create uh, the like, atom to, and for splicers and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Here's me still still solidly in my rock under my rock. <laughs> Hey, if it's anything Bioshock related, I'm in there. You I mean, know, same. Like, Bioshock is one of my favorite games of all time. So, yeah, but I mean, I'm trying to think of another one. Um, I don't think goats get a lot of attention, really. Like, in terms like of a water like, goat. Oh, water goat! No, that would be cool. So like a like a Capricorn. But you have goatman. What's a goatman? Oh, it's another, I'm pretty sure it's another um, American. Yes, it's, it's um, a cryptid from Maryland. It's a creature that's half human and half goat. Capricorns are half, like, goat, half fish thing. Springing out my astrology. Yeah, no, I guess so. Wow. Tristan being proven wrong. What a rare sight. <laughs> yeah, no, hey. the... the, 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 the Goatman was first spotted in Beltsville, Maryland. So it's this uh, half man, half goat uh, cryptid that carries an axe around. Oh, fun. So he's also out there to ruin your day, basically. Obviously, I didn't know about that because uh, no one thinks about Maryland. <laughs> Harsh. Um, I, mean, I don't know. I've, I've been to Maryland and uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not exactly, it's not exactly Mothman, you know. No, Mothman rules. Uh, anyway, we were talking about mermaids, weren't we? <laughs> Not exactly Mothman, is it? Oh, man, but a mermaid Mothman? <laughs> Folks. Folks. Oh. Uh, we, need, we need someone, like, there's been no fan art of this podcast, um, so if anyone wants to make the first Archeo Animals fan art and draw a Mothman mermaid... <laughs> At Archeo Animals on Twitter. Let us know. I'm not sure what it would look like osteologically, but it would be fabulous. It would be funnier, though, if the fish part was the head and then the the body of Mothman. But then what what is the body of Mothman? Uh, Usually it's like, it's because Mothman, at least from what I've seen, it's usually like a, 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 a humanoid body but it's got moth wings and a moth head. Yeah, because I think, like, because um, in some narratives, he's, uh, he's more humanoid than others, because I think some, yeah. of the, some of the ones where he's seen, depicted more as a humanoid, are the ones that usually go hand in hand with the conspiracy theories about the men in black and aliens and, and this all sort of linked together. There's a whole thing going on. Of how, like, sort of like warns them of something, and then the men in black appear and they, they try to erase their memories because an alien spaceship has fallen off somewhere. I mean, who among us who lives in the US at least haven't been uh, 
mind wiped by uh, the Men in Black. The Nod normal, your head. Just a normal Saturday night. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, to be fair, I, as a New Yorker, that's uh, that's where uh, it takes place. Just like everything else takes place, baby. <laughs> Yeah, if you go a little bit uh, further south, you get the Jersey Devil. So, yeah, like I said, I Montauk Monster is uh, my hometown rep, which uh, I believe was supposed to originally be the uh, the story for Stranger Things. Uh, it was like slightly based on the Montauk Monster stuff. What is the Montauk Monster? Like, what's it meant? It was to look this. Like? It was basically this like weird body that washed up on Montauk, uh, which is like the 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 end of Long Island, uh, mm-hmm. and no one knew what it was. It was so weirdly like uh, decomposed; you couldn't tell what animal it was. So there's this whole big thing of like, oh, it was washed up from like an, a local like army base, which is again that's kind of the Stranger Things thing. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was like failed experiments, things like that. Um, but that was I a raccoon, if... surely. Hmm? Didn't that end up being a raccoon, surely? I think so. I feel, like, I, I, I feel like a lot of these things end up being raccoons. I, I remember, oh, maybe a possum. I remember it potentially being a raccoon, because at the same time, yeah, he washed off and he looked monstrous but then again have you ever pictured like a shaved raccoon exactly i remember like the mouth i remember was very like candid looking from like the pictures i saw of it but it's it's just fun it's a fun thing we all love to see it (laughs) well just me maybe but yeah maybe in in some ways that could have been a mermaid because it came from the ocean a mermaidoon raccoon mermaid yeah, I guess. Also, I just realized, has, I mean, I feel like it's become, this is something that's probably been in like more recent stuff as a parody, but has there ever been a mermaid that's like, you know, vertically half and half? In what way? Sorry. Like, like half of their body is more humanoid. So like the left half like of split. Like yeah, so like the, the left half of their body is like humanoid, and then the right half is like a porpoise. I Listen, mean, I'm ask I'm asking the big questions here. Uh, I mean, it definitely exists, but I wonder if there was like some weirdo in like ancient Greece who was like, "Hey, what about a siren that was like." On the left side was like a woman, and then on the right side was like a fish. And it sounds like something you'd find you'd find in a Lovecraftian novel. Uh, that's probably a bit more. If we know anything about Lovecraft, other than that he's a huge racist, is that he uh, loves fish people. So yeah, just uh, yeah, just weird fish people and racism. That that's Lovecraft in a nutshell. All right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I wanted to kind of round off the mermaid talk with uh, just like one example of kind of the uh, zoo archaeology mixing with cryptozoology uh, with the Fiji mermaid, which is probably one of the most famous fake taxidermies out there. Uh, it's found in oddity and curiosity museums around the world. Uh, it was originally a hoax created by P.T. Barnum. Uh, it was di- displayed in Barnum shows and caused a huge frenzy for these uh 
quote unquote mermaids in the mid 1800s. And eventually it was found out that it was basically just a mummified monkey attached to a fishtail. But uh, lots of replicas now exist in loads of collections like Ripley's Believe It or Not. Uh, one of my favorites is the uh, it's an alligator variation of the Fiji mermaid. Uh, they're amazing and great. And it's a nice combination of zoo archaeology and archaeology coming together in some ways. Yay. Yay. If, if anyone wants to make a cryptid out of taxidermy and send it to me, please DM me on Twitter. I would love to have one of those in my house. Or just like or a Fiji mermaid plush toy. No, I want like a mummified monkey taped to a, a fish. Okay, well, you, you can have that. I'd have the plush. I'd have the plush of the soft toy. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. I think that that's a good place to wrap it up for this episode. As always, you can find us on Twitter at ArcheoAnimals. Uh, tell your friends about this podcast, stuff like that. Uh, subscribe to- and rate. And tell them to email Tristan at Tristan at ArcheologyPodcastNetwork.com. Yeah, please stop. Hashtag stop the jokes because they're not funny. Hashtag please tell everybody how much I contribute to this show. That's too long of a hashtag. That's not what you're supposed to use hashtags for. Hashtag Team Tristan. I love it. Hashtag Team Tristan. Hashtag Team Pun. Hashtag Archeoanimals. We we turn into Twilight now. I quit this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) thank you for listening to archaeo animals please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcast from you can find us on twitter at archaeo animals also the views expressed on the podcast are those of ourselves the hosts and guests and do not necessarily represent those of our institution employers and the archaeology podcast network Thanks for listening. This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.